You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. Here, but this was so big. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. The constant uh, reminders of cleansing of the ceremonial laws. You read Exodus, Leviticus. It's just it's just everywhere you go with it. Uh, and these these laws taught them uh, that we can't make ourselves pure and more acceptable to God through strict compliance with them uh, through all these washings. That's what Paul's trying to say here. We see when uh, we, the only way to have these is we become clean. Only in Christ, only Christ can make us non-blemished. Only Christ can make us a, a new creature in him. It's not through these external behaviors uh, that they were so tempted to do. And in fact, that's actually what the false brethren, Paul's saying that that doesn't make you right with God. And that's actually what the false brethren would argue that did make them right with God. So we're not trying to make these laws become abolished or replaced now but we're trying to let, the, let you know that they have been fulfilled and they have been fulfilled in Christ. And these ceremonial laws, Christ took that and now it is he who makes us clean. It is not now what they had to do in the Old Testament in order to be clean. And Paul's trying to get this early on stage of Christianity. He's trying to get that through to the church of Galatia, that, that region there. And so what perfect picture of Titus. He is that proof, that living example that, uh, that salvation is done tru uh, truly, an uh, individual becomes clean and acceptable through Christ and not through external uh, modifications and behaviors and deeds and, and good works. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us that. Uh, but that is, that is Titus to the rest of the churches there. So Paul was happy for that outcome. And now we have the, the, final, the final words, Paul's closing arguments, if you could say this, in verse number 4, the freedom. And how many of you have just seen in recent days uh, the gravity of courtroom cases? Uh, I believe it was a month ago. I just have to mention one man's name, Kyle Rittenhouse. And then just a couple days ago, uh, his name is Rohil uh, Aguilera Medeiros. He's the truck driver just recently sentenced to 110 years. So we know what courtroom verdicts can be, don't we? We know the tense situations that can be all inside of a courtroom. And we are facing that right now. Our, our, our land is in upheaval still from a month ago. And right now there's petitions being done throughout all this. And I won't weigh in on those matters. That's not in the Bible. They're not what we're talking about. But we see from that how it's so heavy and relies, relays heavy on our hearts. So Paul, his closing arguments inside the courtroom, and it's not a courtroom, it's just his fellow uh, talking with his other leaders, his apostles. He's telling them, uh, that the false brothers are trying to make us slaves by preventing us from enjoying the liberty we have in Christ. And the biblical gospel gives us freedom while religion leads people into bondage. And that's what these false brethren coming in, they were infiltrated. That, that unaware is brought in. That's to infiltrate. That's to come in and literally bring upheaval to the church. They were saying that their, their true joy, their liberty in Christ was at stake right here. And for Paul, this was a big deal. And so the gospel, when we truly believe the gospel, it's what frees us. It's what sets us apart. It gives us that free, that liberty that we have in Christ. And when we don't have that, when we feel like we're more in bondage and enslaved, that's that false doctrine. That's that false gospel 
that these, that these false brethren keep on trying to bring it. And Paul battles them, even in Philippians. He's going back and still talking about these false teachers here in Galatia. And so how the gospel gives us freedom. You guys are listening great. We're kind of packing in here close. We'll end with a great song and we'll have a good week this week. So how does the gospel give us freedom? Number one, what kind of freedom does it give us? It gives us cultural freedom. If you recall, what are they trying to do? They're trying to, in a way, the false teachers, the brethren, they're trying to make pockets of Jewish, uh, Jewish cultures everywhere. So that means as Americans, if we wanted to be Christian today, you remember that night we had in August, it was a fellowship. We tried to make it special. It was a, a Lord's Supper. We tried to bring in, so it really was just Mediterranean style foods. It wasn't much Jewish, but we brought in some, some bread, some baklava, and we, we palated it. It was fun. It was a neat little uh, time that we ate the bread. But in order to be Christian, if these guys got their way, they would have said, we would have to have little Jewish hobs, uh, kebabs, everywhere you go, wherever you see Christian churches, there would be a culture of Jewish centers all around. You couldn't be Italian without switching into that Jewish culture or African or Spanish. And that would be, that would be just huge to the, for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is what ties us in. That it's what gives us that unity. We can talk to a, a nomadic person in Mongolia. The Cubics are in Mongolia right now. They wrote about someone being saved. I don't know that person got saved, but if they were to come here, we have things in common more than what the guy down the street that has the same car as me, the same car as me, that also likes the same soda. Even though we're close, we're local, we're in the same community, I have more relation, more in common with that brother in nomadic Mongolia who is a saved brother of the Lord. And how many of you would believe if we talked to people in other countries, we probably would stir up our desire and our fervor for the Lord, talking to some of these people that don't have as much as we have. But uh, I digress from that. So here we go. How the gospel gives us cultural freedom. We're going to give some words out. We're going to give a little bit of an article. It's lengthy. Forgive me. Listen carefully. It is huge. It is helpful. Moralistic religion. We're going to define that in a little bit. Presses its members to adopt very specific rules and regulations for daily behavior. Well, why? Because if our salvation depends upon obeying rules, then we want the rules to be very specific and very doable. That's what the, that's the, Paul Tripp says, the genius of Phariseeism is setting a high but achievable standard. The genius of Phariseeism is setting a high but achievable standard. Lord, forgive me for how many times I have been a Pharisee. And that just resonates uh, true to me, how Pharisaical I know my life can be. So moralism, it's what God, it's, it's the, it's the God wants people to behave. I'm not going to go into even more. There, there's moralism, therapeutic deism. Uh, therapeutic is, obviously it's therapy, it's aromatherapy, it's happy and well adjusted. These are things that, that moralistic, that moralistic religion gives us. So Here's an article, if you allow me to read it, from a Spanish pastor in Mexico City. Uh, 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 I was going to say it in Spanish. Abundant Grace Baptist Church. His, here are some of his definitions uh, of moralism. Moralism is a lookalike of holiness, an imposter, a deep fake, if you will. Moralism is the fast food of Christianity. Quick results at a low cost with even lower quality. That's not the in and out fast food we're talking about either. Moralism is addictive because it resembles holiness so effectively most people can be truly misguided and smartly deceived by it, but not God. 
Moralism is the tool that we use when comparing ourselves against others. Moralism masquerades our weaknesses by manufacturing false strengths. Paul commands the spiritual ones in Galatians to restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, and lest we also be tempted. But for a moralistic person, it won't allow that. Moralism is a dictator, not a restorer. Moralism seeks to execute the weak, not to rescue them. Moralism and those who follow it are a sign of the end times because they act as having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. God is not after behavior modification. He is after heart transformation. Holiness doesn't produce morality. It produces godliness. So we're not just trying to be moral good people. That's a byproduct of Christianity. That's a byproduct of gospel living, of holy living, but it's not the, the by and by the part that we are trying to behave, that we're trying to get. Uh, I have uh, just been in, uh, still even can easily slip into it, but just a big battle of performance-based Christianity, why I do what I do. Last time I talked about Galatians, talked a little bit about man-pleasing, and it's something, I don't know if you struggle with it, but I know I definitely do, that performance-based, is God accepted, is he, is he, does he value me? Am I doing things that are constantly making him uh, love and, and continue to uh, earn his, his acceptance, if you would? And whether I actually believe that exactly how I said it or not, it was very big and evident. Uh, Sundays weren't joys to me when I would go to church a couple years ago. There was no joy there. The, 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 the fervor for God was gone. It was, all just was checking boxes and just doing things in order to be where I was supposed to be. It, it was something was missing deep in my life. And uh, it, was, it was just that moralistic religion, if you would. It was, I know I had a relationship with God. I know God loved me, but I was just doing external behaviors. I just was doing almost learned behaviors from my entire life. I've been to church my entire life, went to Bible college. I can definitely just continue this uh, that, 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 that teaching, the, the learned behavior, I'm not saying it's teachings, it's the Bible, but I can continue this way for the next 30 years of my life. Something snapped, let's call it a midlife crisis. I looked into myself and said, am I just going to continue being this person until I'm 60 years old? And that's when I realized, no, there's ha there has to be something more just to going through routines, going through just simple traditions, going through just contrived conformity and not that heart transformation and so uh, here's, I'm going to give you just one more article. Bear with me. This is a kids ministry article from Lifeway. She says, when did moralistic religion replace Christianity in the kids' hearts and minds? When, uh, and when she said, the answer to that is when well-intentioned parents, teachers, churches started spending more time telling kids what they need to do instead of telling them what Jesus Christ has already done. We told kids that they need to obey right away. Otherwise, bad things could happen to them like Jonah being swallowed up by a great fish. We told kids that we need to be brave like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and how they stood strong in the fiery furnace, and how God will protect them. We made kids memorize the Ten Commandments, and then told them to work hard to keep them. But what we forgot to show them was that God still used Jonah after he disobeyed, and, and turned to God, and, uh, I'm sorry, after he disobeyed, that an entire city repented of their sin, and turn to God. We neglected to point out to the kids that fourth figure in the fire with, Daniel, uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was the Son of Man. 
uh, the, the, uh, we forgot to tell the kids that Jesus Christ kept every one of the commandments perfectly on our behalf. And so morals only go after behavior. The gospel gets to the root of the behavior by addressing the heart. That is knowing where we are. The kids need to know us. We need to know that we are sinners, that we are far from God. We miss the mark for all have sinned and come short of that glory of God. That word sin literally means just to miss the mark. I can't even get there if I try to get there. One of the things I do, I try to do every night with the kids before bedtime. We'll tuck them into bed and I'll give them a kiss and say, Daddy loves you, Mommy loves you, but most important, Jesus loves you. And I kiss them and I tickle them at the same time. And then I tell them this, it, it changed. when they, Before they, had, they got saved, I would say, uh, what would I say before they got saved? I would say, uh, uh, anyways, that's not what I'm talking about right now. Before they got saved, I said, I just would pretty much witness them. I don't know what that was, but that's not of importance. That's not what I'm getting to. But now after I say, but most important, Jesus loves them. Then I tell them this. He always loved, there was never a day he started loving you. There never be a day he stops loving you. He, and I get ready for a tickle, and I say he always loves you, and I give him more kisses. Why do I do that? Because I've struggled for years to know God's love for me. I don't want my kids to go through this moralistic religion in Christianity that I've been trying to get out of for years, that I don't know how I got into it. I just think that I need to perform my way to God. But looking here through Galatians, I see it. Paul made it so evident and so clear that we don't have to do anything for God because that would be a works-based salvation. God has done that work for us through the gospel, and that has been so liberating. It's been freeing for me. Not that I have to become a, a Jewish culture. I never, I never thought about all that stuff, but just the work that I have. I was a slave. I was in bondage. These false brethren in my own heart, my own teachings, my own beliefs, trapped me and enslaved me into this thought, into this thought life. And so uh, as we go back to Galatians, the false brethren unawares, if they had their way, we, we know what would happen. It would bring a different type of Christianity. Secondly, so the gospel brings freedom to, uh, to cultural, uh, to culture. it brings cultural freedoms, but also it brings emotional freedoms. Uh, and this is kind of tying into what we just said. Uh, but anyone who believes that our relationship with God is based on keeping up moral behavior is on an endless treadmill of guilt and insecurity. It's like you're constantly climbing a ladder up to God, but the higher you get to God, the rungs are more and more separated, and you're never making it up to the top. You're constantly working. I don't know if you've been there, but I've been heavily in that area to where you're constantly trying. You're running, you're fatigued, you're burning out. Why? Because that's not how God intended to run a race. That's not how God intended for the gospel to be given to us. We obey not in fear and insecurity of hoping to earn our salvation, but in freedom and security of knowing we are already saved in Christ. And with that knowledge, we obey in the freedom of gratitude. That's the life-changing fact that I needed in my life. I don't obey these things because of the rules. I obey out of gratitude for what God has done. That's that performance base that gets conquered by that love-driven model that Christ exemplified through the New Testament, through, through Christ's uh, teachings. So, unless your motive for obeying God is law and is that grace-gratitude motive uh, to the gospel, if that is not your motive to obeying the commandments of the law, it's sad to say this, you are in bondage, you're a slave. The gospel provides freedom, the other gospel destroys it. So to pause and ask yourself, am I living that liberty in Christ or do I feel enslaved? 
in this Christian faith that I'm in. I wouldn't say it's Christian faith. I would say it's moralistic religion. And so in closing, I'm not going to go on to all the rest of the stuff here. We have a lot of good stuff that we want to talk about. Uh, but uh, verse 7 and 8, I, kinda, I didn't even go on to the end of verse 10. Uh, 7 and 8 says, uh, this is them talking, Peter, Paul. But contrary wise, verse 7, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, that's Paul, as the gospel of the circumcision was committed unto Peter. For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. It's the same gospel, but different implications. That gospel goes to the circumcision and also to the uncircumcision. That's the gospel goes to the Jew and to the Greek. So here we see through Paul uh, and Peter, though they had maybe a little bit of contention at times, we see that, and th that the gospel, it goes to all the world, goes to the whole community, and it can be done differently. Not the gospel can't be done differently, but how it is delivered and how it is received, that part is done differently. Paul, he didn't have to teach them the Jewish traditions because they just needed Christ. The, Peter had to teach them a different way. It's very similar to Acts 2, Peter preaching Pentecost, and Acts, I think, 17, Paul preaching Mars Hill. Peter didn't have to do background into who Jesus was. You ever read Mars Hill, Paul? He, had a, he said, you men are too superstitious. He had to lay so much foundation because they didn't have it. Like what Peter did. Peter was able to go right into Pentecost and the Spirit moved mightily in that area because of what they already knew about it. So when we present the gospel to different people, we're coming at them with different, we have to adapt it differently. We don't change the gospel message but we change how we give it to someone, obviously, if they're a different, uh, a different ethnic group, right? Or whatever the case is. Went to Bible college, had a missions major. And one of the things that they say is to adapt the gospel to where you are going, to the country, to the community, to the culture. You bring that so you don't hinder the gospel to them. You don't become so Americanized if you're in Spain or somewhere else that you're preventing the truth of the gospel to get to them. There's ways that you can under adapt the gospel but also those ways that you can over adapt the gospel examples of under adapting would be uh, you guys remember that it was a giant mean gif uh gif it was uh someone closed a prayer by saying a woman that's an under adaptation of the gospel you uh under uh, other examples of that would be all religions point to god taking out all the offensiveness of the Bible. Uh, that would be, I'm not here to uh, talk too much of different false preachers, but uh, that Joel Olstein, my hair is almost curling. Now, hold on one second. I was going to do, I used to do a little Joel Olstein for teen class a couple years ago, and after I would make a point, I would have the teens clap a little bit. It was fun. We enjoy that, but that, that style preaching right there, the, the, here we go. You be the best you can today, so next week you're even better than what you were today. When God sees you now, he sees how you were and how you will be. Anyways, when you take that style, uh, that, that, that fun, easy nature, that the no offense to the gospel... You take out, you under-adapt the gospel. And when you do that, it's not the gospel. We learned that in, in Galatians 1. When you take the foundations of the fact that we are sinners, that we need Christ, 
You, you can't take the offensiveness out. There's so much of a woke society that wants to take out, uh, you name it, genders, or you name the, the harshness of the Bible, which is what, still what God stands for today. We, can, we can't take that out of the Bible and have the same gospel. We can under-adapt the gospel. I pray that we would never do that. We never add things, uh, requirements of baptism for salvation. These are things that are not uh, according to the gospel. But that over-adaptation example as well, just look at the Pharisees, how much that they added extra biblical revelation on top of the Bible. And Jesus is telling them nonstop to, to knock that off. You read anywhere, pick up in any of the Gospels, you're going to run into Jesus and talking with the Pharisee and how they were on the outside, uh, how they looked clean, but on the inside, God called them just, uh, just bones and dead men. Uh, and that, that's who they were. So today, to close, we are wed to Christ not to our own systems, to our tastes, to our likes, to our preferences, uh, to our values, to our hobbies, to our interests. We, as the body of Christ, we are wed to, to Jesus himself. So let's live like he is our, uh, is our groom and not our own, our own likes and dislikes. Uh, Colossians 2.8 says, Beware lest any man spoil, spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world. Here it is and not after Christ. Let's just be a person that's going after Christ. Not this way or that way. Not, well, what, what does this lead me to? Let's just keep Christ in the forefront of where we are, and let's just go to Christ. He is our, he's our, our groom. Let's be wed to him, and not to the traditions of men, not to the rudiments of this world, not to the philosophies of all the smart people of today, to social media. Let's just keep Christ the foremost, the preeminent of where he needs to be in our life today. And the close, uh, verse number nine, they actually close it in the handshake, the right hand. That's still what we do today. I thought that was pretty interesting. And then Galatians 2.10, in closing, we covered uh, the first 10 verses. Only that they, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was formed to do. So here it is. Remember the poor. This Christmas time, if I were to tie it into Christmas, not that I'm trying to, but here, there, here is our, our tie-in. We have been given so much uh, this week. And Paul and Peter, as they dismiss their journey, what do they say? No matter if you're bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, the gospel to the Jews, let's just remember the poor. That was his, that's, that's, that's the heartbeat of Christianity, to be kind to the poor, to, to help them out. Uh, Peter and Paul were called to different mission fields, but they both were constrained to look at the poor. Jesus, he provided the greatest example even in his, in his incarnation. What was that? That was Jesus incarnating in flesh to go to the poor, to go uh, to where they lived, to eat, to associate with the lowest class of society. You know what Jesus called that? He called that mercy. You know what Jesus calls us to do in Matthew 6, 36? Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. So that is why we're to have mercy upon them because that's what Christ compels. That's what Christ commands us to do. So this week, as we have so many things to be grateful for and we have so many gifts that we personally have, let's just show that brotherly love. I didn't even talk too much to it, but the whole Galatians 2 is having unity in the gospel. It's not having schisms and divisions. It's truly just helping one another out. You know, if you see a brother or sister in need, uh, may we just be compelled a little bit more just to be kind, to be merciful to them. Uh, Matthew 25, 44 through 46, God will judge our faith by looking at our service to the poor. He says, then shall they also answer him saying, Lord, 
When saw thee a hungered, or a thirst, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye did it not to one of these, the least of these, ye did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteousness into life eternal. And so God has been good to us. Let's be merciful one to another. No matter where people are in their life, no matter what they currently believe, obviously we, we hold truths to the gospel, but let's get that gospel straight. Let's get it centered in our life. Let's get that slave mentality, that bondage that maybe some false teachings have kind of stirred in your heart. Or maybe just your own ideology has gotten mixed around. I know from my own life, I don't hear a lot of this stuff. It's just my own heart. I talk to people even going on to preach. My own mind will just say, well, why don't you just condense and just only preach that? I battle so much just my own, you call it anxieties or you call it own woes and, and, and just things that I have to battle with. No one's teaching me this stuff. Well, they are. It's, the, it's that rudiment of that world. We see so much. We're inundated with just the world's philosophies. And we have to constantly be flushing it out of our minds. And that's how we do it. We keep Christ first. And so here's a good song. It, it was on my heart. It doesn't necessarily tie in. Uh, but Brother Stephen, this will be our invitation. And he'll sing this. Once you guys have a moment of prayer, moment of gratitude towards the Lord. If the Lord uh, weighed in on any areas, here's some areas to be thinking about as they get ready to sing. Sorry, they're surprised. I don't know. I just asked them. I had a song in my heart, and they said they'll do it. So here's some things. Have there been times in your life where you've thought your performance counts towards your salvation? As they see and think about this, do you ever feel guilty or insecure with your relationship with God? And the fact that he ever liveth to make intercession for us. You know, sometimes when I sin, when I... Uh, you know, I, I, I go back to God almost like a dog with my, my tail between my legs. I, I'm ashamed. I'm guilted because I, I have wronged God. God is holy and I, I've recognized my sin. But the fact that in Hebrews tells us that Christ, he ever lives to make intercession for us. That means God's joy, Jesus' true joy is when he forgives us. That is just amazing right there. And how are you at caring for the poor? And do you tend to over adapt? or under-adapt the gospel to those around you. Just listen here. Time. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc4me.org. May God bless you.